quite a truth revealed or hidden or made known here. And it seems that with mankind in general, the Lord does not have his way. Man has his own direction, his own thing, for the most part. And even with some Christians, the Lord has difficulty having his way with them. Let's turn to Genesis this morning to start. Over the last, maybe it was a week ago or two weeks ago, I was briefly watching uh, a nature film. And I don't even remember what country it was in. It was India or Africa, I don't recall. And there were these men on, were riding on elephants and they had tranquilizer guns. And they're, they're looking for certain tiger that was in the area and that they wanted to uh, tranquilize uh, a tiger. And so they're going along on this road and off to the sides of the road, the grass was high and the guy has this, they're, they're filming this, the guy has this tranquilizer gun. And in a split second, this tiger that was camouflaged in the grass bolts out, doesn't attack the elephant, but jumps up and attacks the man on top of the elephant. He never saw the tiger coming. Never. And <clears throat> they say that, and, and of course, I don't know, there are a lot of animals in the animal kingdom that are extremely cunning. For example, the fox, um, the mongoose, the, the wolves, what wolves will do is, if you've ever seen them hunt in a pack, they're very cunning. One or two wolves will break off and they'll chase a bunch of animals and they'll, they'll chase them in a way, they'll direct them right where the pack is and when they come down there, they're ambushed by the pack and they, they kill an animal. And there are uh, some fish in the ocean, if you watch some of the nature movies, where the fish will open its mouth and has a little thing inside that looks like a little worm. And it's, it's camouflaged where it's sitting. And another fish will come by and they'll wiggle this thing and then they'll go over to investigate and boom, never saw it coming. All types of animals in, in the animal kingdom that use camouflage and stealth and are very, very cunning. In, in trapping and killing their prey. In Genesis chapter 3, very familiar portion of Scripture, verse 1, and this is the New King James. I don't know exactly the word used in the King James, but it says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. So when you look at the animal kingdom and you see the cunningness of animals in, in their environment and killing other animals and so on, it states here that the serpent was more cunning than any other animal that the Lord God had created, regardless of what the animal was. He was more cunning. And sometimes we lose... Uh, thought of that 
and we don't understand the cunningness of the one with whom we have to deal many times. And I never really teach much about the devil and what have you. I believe that if you walk with God and you hear God and, and you're, you're with him in the way that he shows you and reveals to you uh, the ways of the enemy. But sometimes Christians underestimate the cunningness of the enemy. And they have, um, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but they move on a thought. They will follow a certain path on their thinking and they don't really understand or see that their thinking has been influenced by the cunning one. So he says, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field uh, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of, the, of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So God originally intended for Adam and Eve to live within the parameters that he set in the garden. Okay, this is for you, this is for you, this is for you, this is for you. You can do this, you can eat this, and so on. Living in those parameters, and that was what God had set there. Now, to do that, Adam and Eve would have had to have undivided in their heart, they had to be undivided in the direction that God had given them. And seeing that, and that alone, being, if you will, directing their heart, their, their eyes, whatever you want to say, but being undivided in that. Or another way you can say that, that, that um, they had to be committed to what God had said or what God had shown them. Now look in, and of course we know this, look in chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may eat, freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it you shall surely die. So that was the, the direction or the parameters in which Adam and Eve, if they're going to be successful in God, they had to live inside of those parameters and be committed to what the Lord had shown them. Now turn to 2 Corinthians. Now we see this commitment in people in the world. For example, uh, it, when you see people who are committed to work, now, it's good to be committed, <clears throat> committed to work. We're supposed to work. But we are to be committed <clears throat> to the Lord, first of all, <clears throat> excuse me, 
Because if we're committed to the Lord, first of all, then our commitment to work will be what it should be. So work will never ascend to a position in our heart and life that God has never intended it to be. And so you see in the world, people will be committed to that direction, work, 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 and work to be rich, and so on. And, and that's a driving force with many, many, many people. Many people that aren't rich have that driving force there. You also see um, people in the world that are dedicated to success. Whatever they believe in their mind, success is. You know, having a good job, a nice home, a nice car, uh, money in the bank, you know, going on elaborate vacations and what have you. Uh, they will commit their direction to fulfill that success. And they will, they will do whatever it takes. If they have to work 80 hours a week, whatever it takes, they, they will do that. So the world has that commitment to do, to follow a certain direction uh, in working, making money. It can be in a hobby. There are people that have hobbies that they give all their their spare time to that hobby. Uh, for example, I forget what it's called, the, you know, the radio control field. People don't really realize how big that is, but there are so many people across the country that are really involved with flying the radio control planes, and that's all they do every spare minute of the, of the day. They're building them, maintaining them, charging the batteries, going out, flying, and so on. They're buying the ones now that have the propellers that are facing upward, and you, you send them off with a camera on them, and you can use your iPad as a directional thing, and they fly it up and over and spy on their neighbors. All kinds of things that people are doing. That's their hobby. That's what they give their time to. They're committed to that particular direction in their life. And, and let's not forget sports. You know, sports. People are committed to sports, and that is so obvious to see. I don't know how anybody that's a Christian cannot see how so many people in the world are committed to sports. That's a direction in their heart and life, and they go in that. Now, in... 2 Corinthians 11, before we get there, mankind has a will, and they exercise that will, for the most part, for their own purpose, or you can say for their own direction. And when I was thinking about that, three examples in the scripture came to my mind, and the first one was a woman named Athaliah. I don't know if you know who Athaliah is. In Israel, you had, remember the split between, uh, after Solomon died, the kingdom split, and ten tribes broke off, and they formed a northern kingdom, which were, we call Israel. The southern kingdom had two tribes, Benjamin and Judah. They were, they were called Judah. 
each were individual, they were separate kingdoms at the time. And the kings of, of Israel, we remember two of them, or we'll say one of them, and him and his wife, very prominent, uh, Ahab and Jezebel. Remember, Elijah dealt with them constantly. Well, Ahab and Jezebel had a daughter, and her name was Athaliah, and she married into the line of Judah, which was a different kingdom. Now, I don't know whether that was a political alignment there, marriage, or whether Ahab and Jezebel and, and Athaliah wanted to influence Judah into the same type of Baal worship, which actually did happen. Whatever their reason, she marries a king. I believe his name was um, Jehoram. And to make a long story short, he dies, and his son, which was Athaliah's son, takes reign, he becomes king. And she had this desire, this will in her, to exercise her will or exercise herself in the direction of the, the kingship. She wanted to rule in the land of Judah. And so what she does, her son dies, and the rightful heir to the throne would have been her grandchildren, and so she kills six of her grandchildren, and her, the, the aunt of the grandchildren hides, her in, hides the one son in the temple for six years. But, but mean, meanwhile, she had this direction in her heart and she exercises her will to fulfill that which she wants, that which she sees, and that is to, to have uh, control and rule as the king or the queen. So she takes control for six years, exercising her will in a direction. People do this all the time, not to that extreme. But they exercise them, themselves or their will uh, or you can say uh, what they desire in themselves, that they go after that. And many times they don't realize, just like Adam and Eve, there has been a thought planted in the mind. And now, instead of saying, okay, Lord, what is this here? Is this of you or not of you? And allow the Lord, hold it before the Lord they will take that and run with that. And, and it takes them in a direction that the Lord never wants. Another example is Jonah. Now, we see Jonah, and, and we see his disobedience to the Lord. The Lord says, go to Nineveh, preach to Nineveh, and we know that he goes in the opposite direction. And there's a reason why Jonah did what he did, and I'm not making excuse for it. There was no excuse for not obeying the Lord. But Jonah had to struggle with the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire was the major empire, the world empire before Babylon came on the scene. And the Assyrians were brutal, brutal people. They would go in and conquer a country, a land, a city, 
and they would, would kill the men, rape the women, kill the children. They would take people out of the cities and they would put stakes in the ground and then impale them on the stakes and leave them there. These people were brutal people. And they had no mercy whatsoever. And Jonah experienced or saw that. And now, because of what he saw, he felt that they should be judged for their sin. They should be judged for what they have done to many, many people of the land. And so Jonah disagrees with God when God says, go and preach to Nineveh repentance. And so he allows his thinking here that they deserve judgment, not mercy. They deserve to be judged and, and wiped out, not be given the love of God, not preached to. And so Jonah acts upon that thought, and that thought takes him far away from the direction and the purpose of God for his life. It's the same as Adam and Eve. They, they acted upon this thought, and the thought took them somewhere, and they had a purpose now in that, and they fulfilled that purpose. He had a purpose, and that was to get away. He doesn't want to go. But the Lord didn't allow him to go, we know the story, but yet he never goes and, and moves in what he should move in. So having a thought implanted in the mind doesn't mean we have to act upon it. We need to know the difference between something that is put in our mind and the purpose or direction that God has shown us. And then... The third um, example is Samson. Samson was a man who could have rose to greatness in Israel. And in a certain way he did because he defeated the Philistines on many occasions. Uh, God used him, but yet in his life personally, he failed because he had these thoughts and he always seemed to act upon these thoughts never waiting on the Lord, never weighing them with the word of God, not even listening to his parents who wanted to give him some direction. You know, I want that woman in Timnah. Get her for me. I want Delilah. Okay, I'm going to go after her. So as I said, God has given mankind a will and for the most part, man has exercised that according to his own purpose. And even with Jonah and even with uh, Samson, who were believers, if you want to use that term, they still moved in this thought or this thinking that was planted there by another source. And so the enemy, as it says here, the serpent is more cunning than any animal that God made. He's more cunning. And one of the means and methods he uses many times is to put a thought in our minds. Now that's not, you know, it's not evil. We deal with it. What we do with the thought now will determine 
whether this becomes a direction in our life that's going to take us in a wrong way, or is it a purpose of God that we are to marry our hearts to and you know, go in that direction? Now, in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, Paul says, But I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness. So Paul is using the illustration here of Adam and Eve and what happened with them, how crafty and cunning the serpent was. So, or the same way, your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Now, the corruption spoken, spoken of here is the corruption of the mind. The mind. That's what we saw in those examples there. The corruption of the mind is that the enemy is able to put a thought there, and that that thought is acted upon by the individual to take them in a totally different direction. Now, in the context here in 2 Corinthians 11, it's referring to the Christian whose mind has been corrupted or whose mind has been moved away from some purpose that God has for them. See, God has a purpose corporately, and he has a purpose individually. We can be corrupted, as Paul is saying, in our minds from the purpose corporately or from the purpose individually that the Lord has shown us. And we can act upon a thought, and that thought can take us away. Now, this word corrupted is a passive voice verb, which means that the subject receives some action, which bears the same thought here. You receive, whoever it is, the action you receive is the, the mind being corrupted. The thought is planted, you're passive in it, it comes and it's planted in your mind. Now, from that point on, we need to ascertain where that comes from. You know, we, we need to know. Is it from me? Is it from the Lord? Is it from... And, and it's not a big deal as far as the Lord showing us. We just need to rest in Him and don't act. Don't act on it if you don't know what... It, you know, if you don't know it's from the Lord, then just... Don't act on it. The Lord's quite capable of showing us this is the way. And, and he does that in the inner man, by the way. He can do it through his word. But he, he does that in here, you'll know. There are certain things that you'll just know. You will know, even know how you'll know it. It's not that you thought about it and reasoned and you, you weighed everything. It's that you just know in your spirit that if I go that way, that's going to cause all kinds of problems in my life that are not in God's purpose. So this word here, corrupted, in verse 3, means to bring ruin or destroy. It's going to bring ruin or destroy something, 
And what is it that's going to bring ruin and destroy? And that is, like Adam and Eve, the direction that God has given. See, that's the intention be behind the corruption of the mind, to take you elsewhere. It's, it's easy to reason. It's easy to get a thought. And then, you know, what happens when you get a thought? Then you think about it. Okay, you get a thought, you're thinking about it, you add something else to it, then you add this to it, you think about that, you're thinking about this. And not that there's anything wrong with thinking. God gave us a mind to reason. But acting upon a, your thinking and thoughts apart from the Word of God and what the Lord is showing an individual can bring problems. So you personally... What has God, or put it this way, what direction has God given you in your life? Do you know the direction that God has given you for now? And you say, well, I don't do anything. You know, all I do is I stay home, and I raise children, and, and I take care of my husband. You tell me that's not a direction? You tell me that that's not what you should be doing? See... The Lord has us where we are to function where we are, and he can use us where we are, and in that, he can even show us something else that we are to be involved in. Now, I've worked for years, but the Lord showed me years ago that he wanted me to teach, and I was not at all in agreement with that. My thought was, Lord... There are a lot of other people that are more qualified. There are a lot of other people that can speak better than me. Uh, there are a lot of other people that uh, would enjoy or like being up in front of people, and you know I don't like it at all. And, and all these things. See, that's, that, that's my thinking in it. Now, if I would have moved on the basis of my thinking on the subject, then I would have never been in a position to teach. So the Lord showed me to teach, whether I like it or not. I said, okay, that's your direction, that's your purpose. I'm going to move in that and stay in that unless you show me otherwise. And so the Lord will show you in, in your world, where you are, he will show you a purpose, and out of that purpose will come something else, maybe a greater purpose the Lord will have for you. So this word here, let's go back to verse 3. But I fear lest somehow as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. The word simplicity means singleness. It means without deceit or self-seeking. Now that's saying a lot. So there is to be we'll say commitment, or there is to be a singleness in your heart and life, my heart and life, that does not have deceit, that does not have self-seeking attached to it. So that whenever you do whatever it is you do, be it at work, at home, at church, 
there's not anything there that is self-seeking. And see, the Lord can do that in the Christian, and he, he wants to do that, and I believe he does it with many, to where there is nothing, that what they're doing for the Lord in the purpose he showed them, that thing is single. There's no deceit in it. He or she's not doing it for some other purpose uh, other than what the Lord has shown them to do. There's not a self-seeking in that. And so having that, if that is moving, and it should be moving in all of our lives, then the enemy wants to corrupt you from that singleness. He doesn't want that because you're moving in in purity. You're moving in what the Lord wants you to move in. And so the enemy doesn't want that. Now, in this verse, the immediate context here is seen in verse 2. Paul says, For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So the context here is that we are to be a chaste virgin, or you can say, related to verse 3, that this pureness or this singleness that comes out from your life, in the purpose that God has shown you, as that comes out, that is what is going to make you a chaste virgin unto the Lord. And so the enemy looks at that, and he sees that, he wants to disrupt that, and he'll do whatever he can to disrupt that. And so he says here, But I fear lest uh, somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity. Now listen to this. This is key here. That is in Christ. What simplicity or what singleness do we see uh, in the life of Christ? Of course he came, he he had this, this singleness as far as the plan of redemption, the Father sent him, he was born, he moved along in life to the cross, and that was, that was uh, the purpose of the Father for Jesus' coming. But just look at a few things in John chapter 5. John 5, 17. My father has been working until now, and I have been working. So there's a singleness there. And the working here that Jesus was meaning is that he saw the father working on the Sabbath. And because he did, he is working on the Sabbath. And and the context was he, he healed on the Sabbath. And God, the Jews all upset. They did not see the singleness of purpose in the life of Christ, uh, all they saw was the law. They, they, they didn't even see past 
the written page, the written law. They never got past the actual written law. See, there's, there's something that's moving underneath of that, bringing about a fulfillment of something in the life, the purity, the singleness, and all that, to God, not the law. They never got past that. They looked at the law, they looked at Jesus, and they said, you're healing on the Sabbath, you don't even keep the law. We're not your disciples, we're disciples of Moses. In John 9, verse 4, I must work the works of him who sent me. So once again, you see in the life of Christ this, this singleness. So he's not doing this for any self-purpose. There's no deceit in what Jesus does. He's working the works that he sees the Father. And once again, the context here is he heals the man... I think it's by uh, applying the, uh, the dirt in his eyes. He heals the man on the Sabbath. And the Jews, again, are very upset about this. But that doesn't change his mind. The Jews were constantly trying to put thoughts into the mind of Jesus. You know, hey, you're born of fornication. We're not born of fornication. And all these different things they said to him. And they tried to trap him in his words. And, and Jesus did not allow any of those thoughts to, to settle in his mind to, to where he acted upon them. He works the works of the Father. There's a singleness there. And in um, John 4, verse 3, that's the wrong scripture. Anyway, it's, the scripture I was looking for is he said, I, I have come to do the works of him who sent me. And he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. That was his food. That was, was what he was feeding on. He's not feeding on the thoughts of the enemy. Remember, he was in the wilderness when he began his ministry, and the enemy kept on trying to plant thoughts to get Jesus to uh, act upon them, and he never did. He would say, you know, it says that if you cast yourself, you know, he's quoting scripture, if you cast yourself from the pinnacle of the temple, you know, that the angels will keep you from dashing your feet upon the rock. And then Jesus would say, yes, but it's written such and such and such and such. So he never acted upon the thought that was given to him. The only thought he, he acted upon was the thoughts the Father was giving to him. Go heal this man on the Sabbath. Now, if Jesus was religious, uh, if Jesus would have said, well, you know what? Is that really of you, Lord? Because it says in your word that you know, you're not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. Jesus had a communication with the Father, an inner communication, that he knew that was the right thing to do. And we accept that for, and take that for granted, that it was the right thing to do. Uh, and, and we don't really sometimes understand that until in our personal life we have the communication from the Lord to show us a way to go. 
Now, I teach stuff like this all the time, and I sometimes say to people that if you don't know a direction, then just rest in God. Don't worry about it because, you know, we can't force anything. And either the Lord is going to come to you and show you a direction, either that or you're not going to, you're not going to know and, and you're not, you shouldn't be moving, you know, in a particular way, a purpose for your life. I'm talking about a purpose for your life. And I've seen where people have gone on the mission field that never should have gone on the mission field. You know, they, there's people that come up in, in certain churches and, and they're in their teens and right away they get this thought, you know, I'd like to go and be a missionary and go visit Africa. So they get hooked up with a, a missionary organization that will send them to Africa. And that many instances that that's not, you know, what the Lord was desiring sometimes it is but just having a desire to do something is not enough there has to be in the heart something the lord does and communicates or puts there and many times a missionary will go out based upon something the lord has already put there you know not just they get this thought and say well okay i think i'm going to go to guatemala I am really glad that I never went to Guatemala on my own. And I just didn't decide one day, hey, I think I want to go on the mission field. When the Lord sent me to Guatemala, I didn't want to go. <laughs> and um, I said, okay, Lord, if you want me to go, I'll go. And it was a good thing because the time I stepped off the plane, every mission trip I've been on, there's always been something. But the time I stepped off the plane... The Lord put me through it. I mean, he just put me through the ringer. And if I wasn't resting in him, I would have went back to the capital and came home. Because some of the, the life-threatening things that I personally know, that doesn't mean that if you go on a mission field, you'll experience that. But for me, there was some life-threatening things I had to uh, endure in the first day first day. And maybe that's unusual, I don't know. But for me, the Lord always has put me through some unusual things, I think, on the mission field uh, for reasons. He wants to do something in me. But uh, anyway, I'm glad I didn't just get this thought and go on it. Now, that doesn't mean the Lord can't take you to the mission field. But, but you know, let that come up into you know, go with it. Not be something that the enemy plants to destroy. And, and there's been people that gone to the mission field, and I think it was, I think Bill Pepper had mentioned this some years back, where they shouldn't have been on the mission field and they had to send them home. So my food is to do the will of him who sent me, and then Jesus said, and to finish that work. So Jesus not only did the work, but he saw it to the end, the finish of it. And the purpose that the Lord has for you, he will bring you into that, and then he'll want to take you. There'll be a finishing of, of, um, of that, the work in you, 
over a period of time. So <clears throat> when the disciples uh, were called, remember when Jesus walked by them, he said you know, to Andrew and Philip and, and the others, Matthew, he says, follow me. And that word, or those two words, follow me, was enough to take them along the way until they could see a greater purpose in their life. They did see a greater purpose. You know that, right? They started with, they dropped, they dropped their nets. You know, Matthew was at the collecting taxes probably and dropped what he was doing, and he followed the Lord. That was the first step. That was the purpose for the Lord, follow me. Now, along the way, once they followed the Lord, over so many months and, and years, some things happened. And eventually, they moved into a greater purpose. And we see at Acts, at the at Pentecost, that the Lord takes them and sends them out into another purpose. It's all related, of course. But eventually they move into a greater purpose, and then as they moved on into the, toward the end of their life, a lot of them wrote, Peter, you know, James, uh, and, and some others, Luke wrote Acts. And there was a broadening or widening of the purpose in their life. So there is, as I said earlier, a general purpose, or you could say a general call of God, which it says uh, somewhere in the epistles that we are called uh, to be sanctified. So that's, that's a corporate call. We're all called to be sanctified. And then you also see in Peter, it says that we are called to glory and virtue. That's a, a corporate calling. Uh, in Matthew 5, uh, Jesus says, be holy as your Father is holy, or, you know, so on. Again, that is a corporate call. We're all called to that. Then you have the individual call, and that is a specific call to you and I, where we are called, of course, into the kingdom. Now... The Lord will show us over the course of time. It may take 10 years. It may take 15 years. It may take 20 years. The Lord's not in a hurry, by the way. But he brings you into something else, and, and he calls you, and it's not like necessarily like the disciples where he, he verbally said, follow me, but you'll know that the Lord is asking something of you, and he'll show you what that is. And as I related, the Lord showed me uh, some years ago to teach. I taught a couple classes. I was a very young Christian, and then the Lord said, sit down, and I was so relieved. <laughs> I said, thank you, Jesus. I was so happy. I was happy to sit in the pew. Happy, happy, happy. And, and then so the Lord kept me there for some time, you know, three or four years, five years, I don't remember what it was, seven years. And then I was called upon to teach again. And I thought I was getting out of it, you see. But uh, it, it was there in my heart, but I was kind of ignoring it. And so the Lord called me to teach 
on a limited basis. I was teaching once a month a Bible study in South Hills. And then after that, uh, I was teaching Sunday school. And then there was a period I wasn't teaching for a little while again. And then again, I was teaching, I taught for um, two weeks a month for three years. And then the Lord, from that point on, put me into teaching in the Bible school and so on. But the point is that I was brought into that. Even though in my heart I knew something was going on, I knew the Lord had another purpose for my life. So he brought me into that slowly. And I'll tell you what, I'm thank, I thank God that the Lord is gracious and he takes his time with certain individuals like me. Now, maybe with other people he doesn't. He throws them into ministry. But for me, that has not been the case, probably because of my personality, I don't know, or my desire not to teach. But nevertheless, the Lord does these things, and he'll bring to you where you are, where you live, a purpose. And he'll open that up to you. It may not be for years, but then again, it may, he may show you. And he'll, he'll bring you into that, and that will be a personal call for you. See, so that you're going to feel, fulfill a corporate call, your sanctification, call to glory and virtue, call to be holy, and so on. And then there's going to be a personal call that as you respond to that, he will be able to fulfill the corporate call in you, the holiness, the sanctification, glory and virtue, all, all that stuff. See, will be able to be fulfilled through you moving in the personal call for you. So getting back to where we started, we are not to allow our minds to be corrupted from the direction that God has given, be it corporate or individual. We can have thoughts come our way. We can be influenced in our mind to move in a different direction. Well, you know, if I go here and I do this and I do that, I mean, I'm still serving the Lord. I'm still a Christian. Yeah, yeah, you are. But am I fulfilling the purpose of God? Now, the Lord has set me in this church years ago, years and years, in the 70s, by the way, some of you younger. And the Lord showed me to be here. Now, that may change in the future. But I purposed in my heart, I committed to the Lord that I would stay as long as he has said I will stay. I mean, and he hasn't said anything different. So it seems to me that I'm going to stay. Now, as you know, there have been people who have gotten thoughts in their mind and have gone from this church. And, and it happens in other churches too, not just this church. Some of them have actually acted upon a thought 
that has taken them away from the individual purpose of God for their life and has affected that corporate purpose of God also. Are they Christians? Yes. Uh, should I love them? Yes. There's nothing to do with any of that. We shall all give an account before the Lord. We'll all give an expression what that corporate call, an individual call, has brought us to in the inner man, what we have become. We will give that expression before the Lord someday. It doesn't matter whether we want to or not. We're going to stand before the Lord, and what we are will be expressed there. The Lord will look at you, look at your heart or your spirit, he will look at you, and that expression, what you have become, will be seen by the Lord, and he judges according to all that. This is for you, that's for you, this is not for you, that's not for you. Based upon what the individual and corporate purpose of God in your life has fulfilled, or not fulfilled, because you haven't fl flown, or haven't flowed in that. So there's a lot going on uh, in, in the spirit. There's a lot going on as far as the Lord, what he has designed for your life and my life. And it's not a complicated thing to get into that. We just need to, to just wait on God and trust him to, to move us. And until then, stay where we are and allow the Lord to work where we are. But in closing, remember that we don't want to be corrupted, have our minds corrupted from the singleness that we have seen in Christ Jesus. Because all that means is problems now and loss later.